0: All right, so happy summer, everybody. So this morning launches our summer series. Um, it's kind of like a little bagels and Bible, R&R. I'm trying to get into the... So much has happened this morning. Um, over the next couple months, I'm gonna be teaching specifically on how we can find some rest and some refreshment um, for our lives, just as we look at Jesus. Um, this morning, we're going to learn about the time that everyone else was in a panic and Jesus was napping, right? Um, can I tell you guys how much I love that Jesus napped? I love that he napped. Does anybody else like love a good nap? Like if you're honest and if you can take one, like you're like, Just, I don't even know what that is. Can you define that for me, right? A nap, isn't that what babies do? No, adults are allowed to do it. Um, the U.S. is actually becoming more sleep-deprived. Um, Some of it's because the busyness of our lives and some of it is because we're on our screens into the night and staying up later and later. Uh, Even though a nap doesn't like make up for a bad night's sleep, uh, I looked up some study on the National Sleep Foundation and a short nap of 20 to 30 minutes can improve your mood. Anyone? Anyone over 45? (laughs) That needs a mood improved. Improve your mood, your performance, your ability to to get through the day and do things, your alertness. Uh, Winston Churchill, John F. Kennedy, Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, all nappers. Which I think it's funny that it's all men. They're all napping. I'm like, where are the women that napped? Because we don't nap. But that's going to change today, all right? So I know for many years uh, I felt selfish and guilty if I took a nap. And I still, I still sometimes can feel that way um, because I could be doing more important things during that time where I'm resting, right? There's a stigma to napping. It kind of implies laziness, especially to ourselves. No ambition. Naps are for kids and like old people when they doze off when they're talking to you, right? Um, or if you're sick that's when you've like hit the nap jackpot, right? You're like, I can't swallow and my head hurts, but I'm in bed all day, you know? Somebody else is taking care of everything or not, but you know, you're in bed, you're in bed all day. Um, That's the only time we let ourselves nap and we can't even enjoy it because we feel so bad, right? I think as women, we struggle with this idea of taking time for ourselves. Uh, We don't want to ask for it. And if you're a mom, it rarely comes naturally. Um, And even if your kids are in school or grown up, there's like this guilt that sort of creeps in and tells us you need to be productive. What are you doing sitting down on the job, right? Um, Now, somehow my husband has zero guilt with rest. Like the kitchen is messy and he's on the couch just chilling on his phone And I come in, you know, I can come in from a girl's night out and start cleaning while he's on the couch. And I remember one time saying, like, you're just relaxing. And he goes, well, come on over, you know. If you want to relax, come sit down. And I'm like, that's not my point, you know. He, I don't know if it's a gender thing, but he can get, he can just relax and I won't. Um my husband, when I told him what I was talking about, he said, Kim, when you have time you can take for yourself, you think of seven other things you could be doing and then you do one of those. And that's totally true. Um, I found this, I saw this pic on Instagram, maybe you guys saw this, that when a husband and wife say I'm going to bed, the husband goes to bed, and the woman picks up the toys, puts away the dishes, turns the dishwasher on, locks all the back doors, turns the lights off, takes off her makeup, brushes, flosses her teeth, then lies in bed, thinks about all the stuff she has to do or all the stuff she didn't do, and then she goes to sleep. I know it's an exaggeration, but a lot of times that, my husband will say, why don't you head up now because it takes you like 20 minutes. Yeah. And, I, that, and I'm like, it does. I, don't know. I don't even know why, what I'm doing, but that's kind of how it works. So when I, if I'm gonna lay down during the day, And this is what happens. I really should be folding that laundry, you know. I could be writing those thank you letters right now. I need to call that person back. I was supposed to call them yesterday. I should be finishing up those dishes. Or we kind of go, well it's still resting if I'm returning emails from my laptop or my phone while I'm in bed or or laying down. Well, no, it's not really resting. Um, I put myself at the bottom of my to-do list. Does anyone else feel like that's kind of a You're always having to remind yourself. Um, So I'm gonna challenge you this morning, and it's gonna be really hard for some of you to take time for yourself this summer. Take time for you this summer. Even take a nap. Uh. And then you could just tell your family, look, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. I just love my Lord, and I wanna be like him more every day. I'm conformed to the image of God's son. I'm taking a nap today, like Jesus did in Mark 4. And just quote it. And he was asleep on the stern. I'm gonna go sleep in our room, okay? Turn with me to Mark 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening came, Jesus said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the same story is covered by three of the gospel writers. And in Mark's account, he lets us know that this is taking place in the evening after a very busy day. At the beginning of the chapter, we read that Jesus was teaching by the sea, and the crowd was so large that he got into a boat, and then they pushed it out from the shore a little bit so that people could be all along the shore and back, and so that people wouldn't be pressing on him and on top of him. I found this picture of Charlie Chaplin. It's from 1921, and he's in front of the Ritz Hotel in London and these are his fans. Did you know Charlie Chaplin was such a handsome bloke? I mean, who knew? With his little, He always wore a bowler hat and stuff. So this is Charlie Chaplin. These are his fans. This is kind of how I picture how it was with Jesus. People were, there were healings. They were hearing all these stories, of what was going on, and they were pressing in on him. So Jesus pushes out the boat, has some space around him while the crowd looks From along the shore as he teaches them at the end of the day he tells his disciples let's go over to the other side because they couldn't go back to shore and have him just get out because all the people were there he would just be stepping right back into them and he knew he couldn't go back into the crowd at that moment because he was exhausted right the only way to get away from the crowd was to cross the lake sometimes you have to move away from people that need you to get some time for yourself right He was exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, all of it, and he knew that he needed rest. He had been pressed on all day by all these crowds. Two things struck me here. Jesus knew he needed rest, and Jesus knew he needed solitude. And we'll be talking about this a little more next month with this idea of our need to pull away and how Jesus would pull away from things to find that solitude. But what I really want to point out is Jesus assessed his need for rest. And then he rested. He answered his body's need for sleep and rest, even though there were 10 other things he could be doing. He rested. How often do you feel mentally, emotionally, and physically tired, drained? Yes. So you do. She's like, drained? Yes? Are you talking to me? Um, You know you need rest. But instead of resting, you throw yourself into the next project. Right? It kind of you just go on to the next thing or the next item on your to-do list because there's this endorphin rush from crossing off the next thing that makes you feel so good. So I'm tired, but if I can just cross one more thing off, I've got this. You just have another cup of coffee and push through, right? Because there's no time. And it's really not convenient to rest. Well, it really wasn't convenient for Jesus to rest at that moment, right? But he did it. Or you don't take the time for rest. Like take the time and set it aside for yourself. Like when we make cookies and I take cookie dough and I put it in Tupperware and it says for mom and it goes in the fridge. I set it aside for me, right? You take that extra food, you take those leftovers, you're like, that's mom's, and you set it aside for you. We need to value setting aside time. This is mom's time. This is my time right now, or this is wife time, or this is just me time. This is just me time. Verse 36, it says, Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, and there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up. So the Sea of Galilee is that little blue area up there east of Israel. You can see it. It's referred to by the Israelis as the Kinneret because it says her fruits are as sweet as the sound of the kinnor, which is the violin. Uh, it's nearly the size of Washington, D.C. It's a lake the size of Washington, D.C. It's the largest freshwater lake in Israel at 64 square miles. And it's where Jesus walked on water. Um, now, the issue with this storm wasn't necessarily that the waves were so tall. Like, we picture a lot of the things, the artists' renderings of this, the waves are like you're in the Atlantic or something. Um, it probably wasn't like that. Now, in 1992, there were 10-foot waves recorded. So that can happen. Um, but it, it wasn't an ocean storm. This storm was the result of a difference in temperature between the coast and the mountains. The Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level, surrounded by hills, and on the east the hills go up about 2,000 feet. So it's cold up here, and it's warm down here. And this difference in height and temperature will cause these pressure changes, and so these strong winds will come down and drop into the sea. And because the Sea of Galilee is relatively shallow, you get these storms that come up pretty quickly and can be very chaotic and they, there's without warning. And the boats the fishermen used had low sides. It wasn't these tall boats that we see go out to fish in the Atlantic. They had low sides so the waves could easily crash over them. So this is a picture of the Jesus boat. This was found um, when the Sea of Galilee, there was a uh, drought and the water went down and they found this boat. It's from the first century A.D. Isn't that cool? And so it's 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, which is not very wide, and the maximum preserved height is about a little over four feet. Here's another idea of what they look like. And you can see that when the boat's in the water, there's not a lot above water, right? Just a a couple feet, just a few feet. So it's windy, and the waves start filling it up because the boat is tossing, and the waves are coming into the boat. So if that's happening, they would sink and the average depth of the Galilee is about 84 feet with the deepest being 141 feet. So even if the waves weren't like the Pacific, their circumstances were dire. I mean, imagine being lost in the middle of Washington, D.C. They would be dropped into the middle of this lake and there would be no way for them to get to the other side. And it says, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I love that in contrast to the chaos of the storm, because it came up quickly, that there's this wording, asleep on a cushion. It's just this great contrast. Here's what the boats look like. And the stern is the back where the rudder is, where that guy is sitting in the back. And it was just, there likely wasn't like, he didn't have a pillow. I saw one artist rendering, he had a blanket and a big fat pillow and it's like, I don't think that's totally right. It was probably like a bit of leather and maybe sort of a thin leather cushion where the steersman would sit and sometimes rest. It's thought that he was so tired that he literally just threw him down on the stern threw himself down to rest. Um, And I love that Jesus falls asleep because that makes him very human, right? Because God doesn't slumber or sleep. We know that from Psalm 121. Jesus fell asleep. And I think it's significant that his humanity is so out front when the storm begins. He's all human because it ends with him rebuking and calming the storm and his divinity takes center stage. So it's just a reminder to us that Jesus was human but full of the holy spirit like all of you like all of us we're human but we're full of the holy spirit and that's where the power rests so they wake him and they're like teacher don't you care that we're perishing and he got up rebuked the wind said to the sea hush be still and the wind died down and it became perfectly calm their question is kind of an accusation like do you not care which they're saying you don't care, right? How can you be sleeping? Don't you care that we're all going to die? Nobody's sure what they expected Jesus to do because when he did what he did, which was take care of it, that freaked them out. So it's possible they weren't expecting him to fix it. It's possible they just wanted him to be worried with them. Does that make sense? Anybody else like that? You should be running around in a panic like us. If you really cared, you'd be freaked out like we are, right? They felt like he didn't see their distress, which I know everyone in this room has felt this at one point or another. You have felt like, don't you care? If you cared, you'd be doing something. Or at least you'd see this distress and you'd be worried about me. When we were going through our adoption, my husband just wouldn't worry. And sometimes it'd be so annoying, (laughs) because I'm like, be afraid with me, because that shows me that you care, right? If you're freaking out with me, it makes me feel supported because you're afraid with me. He's like, I will not go there with you. It was like, it makes me, I just wanted him to be afraid with me. And it wasn't because he didn't care. It's because he just trusted God. He would just be like, I just, I'm not afraid. And that was Jesus. Jesus trusted his father. Spurgeon says this, He was as much at ease as on a sunny day. His mind and heart were free from every kind of care. For amid the gathering tempest, he deliberately laid himself down and slept like a weary child. And sometimes I feel like that's a punch in Satan's face. Like when you're in the midst of just, it's hard, things are hard, and you go, I am deliberately going to trust my God, and I'm just going to sit this one out. I'm just going to rest here and know that he's going to take care of things. Satan hates it when we do that. Jesus knew that his father held it in his hands. He wasn't troubled. He trusted him. He was secure even in the face of death. He was secure. No matter your circumstance, what brought you, what you brought in with you this morning, God is holding it right here. He's got you. He sees your situation. He sees your fears. He sees all the nuances, even the things that you don't see. And he wants to calm your mind and give you some rest this morning. So just be assured, if if you leave with anything this morning, it's that God is seeing you. He is in the midst of it. He is holding you. And you can rest, okay? Okay. So Jesus rebukes the wind and silences the waves. Now, it's really funny for Bible nerds. Scholars get really nerdy. Because um, they're just like, okay, is this an exorcism miracle? This is an exorcism miracle. Wait, no, it's a nature miracle. This is a, na- this is a nature miracle. Definitely a nature miracle. Wait, 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 it's a rescue miracle. This is a rescue miracle. Let's put it down as a rescue miracle. Or is it an epiphany? Maybe it's an epiphany. I mean, they can't figure out what type of miracle. They have to like put it into some sort of box for miracle. Remember when we talked about men and women? These must be men, right? And it has to be this one. we got to categorize this miracle. It's a miracle. But I love that the language he uses parallels the exorcism of the demon in chapter 1, verse 25, where he rebuked the demon and says, be quiet. Jesus rebukes the wind and silences the sea. The word for hush, when he says, hush, be still, is the Greek word for silence. Like, be quiet. Just be quiet. He's addressing the elements as if they're demonic, and he's shutting them down. It underscores the idea that there's a spiritual struggle beyond what we naturally see, which made me think of this this morning with everything, every, all the, losing all the power. My amazing coffee ladies, like, where's all the coffee stuff? Like, and the computer wasn't working, like, everything was being hit. And then this falls over, and, you know, there's something going on underneath what we see. And so I went in the hallway and I was like, oh no, Cayete, you know. <laughs> Shut up, devil! Because this is not going to go down this way this morning. I see you, and it's not going to happen, right? Sometimes <laughs> well, you have to do that. Um, Jesus doesn't just let the storm have his way, have its way. He fights it. He sees that there's something else behind it, right? And they say, "Who is this? Only God can do that." Well, clearly God is in him, and he says, "Why are you afraid?" Do you still have no faith? Their fear exposed their lack of faith, which is what happens to us. When you find yourself really afraid of something going wrong or something happening, check your faith, because what that's, what that's meaning is your faith is very fragile because you're not trusting God. They didn't have faith in this miracle worker that they had already seen do amazing things. And they didn't trust in Yahweh like God's helping power was in Jesus. Their fear of the storm overwhelmed their commitment to Jesus. Does that make sense? It overwhelmed their confidence that he cared for them and that God was at work to protect them. Um, My niece is a 911 operator and it actually made me think of like when there's a major catastrophe and the lines get overwhelmed with calls, right? Until, or you're trying to get on your phone and you can't. Everything's shut down and you can't. It's just overwhelmed. That's what happens. If the fear all comes into every place and then we just tilt. And the system goes down and we can't communicate. We can't, you know, get the help that we need. I think the storm is a perfect illustration of what happens when we start to doubt or panic. Waves of fear start to come over our boat into the boat and crash like our boat is faith and the waves come in and little by little fill it up until we start to sink and then as you're sinking you can't get to where you're going right because your boat's sinking and you're too distracted by bailing out your boat to keep it on course to go where you're going their fear was unfounded and often Ours is. um, Jesus is like, you have no faith. I am right here in the stern. I'm right here in the stern. We need faith in order to rest. Faith secures rest. And I would say that fear is the enemy of rest. Because it's really hard to rest when you're Dealing with so many things that are fear and panic and doubt and things like that. So what's keeping you from resting today? It could be something little, like you have all these tasks to get done. Um, It could be big things. You have a child that's struggling. You're going through a divorce. You're lonely. You have a relative that's sick. These are all things that can us from resting or maybe you're just running on that panic adrenaline that comes from juggling too many things at once are you in a storm you're hanging on for dear life waves are coming in your boat and no matter how much you bail and you grab your friends to bail you still feel like you are sinking you're like Kim I'm trying to rest but my boats about to sink I would love to rest <laughs> trust me but my boat is going down right You might feel powerless this morning, but my whole reason for being here this morning and your whole reason for being here this morning is for me to remind you that Jesus is in your boat. Jesus is in your boat, okay? Satan may be in the waves, but Jesus is in your boat. Okay? I'm not saying pretend the storm isn't happening. Just remember that Jesus is in the stern, okay? The stern is where the boat gets its direction. He's there, even if you don't see him moving, even if you don't hear him speaking right now, you can trust that his hand is in control, okay? He's in the stern, he's at peace, he cares for you, and he will do warfare for you. He will battle for you. So he says, be quiet, be still. Sometimes you have to rebuke the enemy for stealing your peace. You have to tell him to be quiet. This phrasing for be still, so hush is be quiet, like silence, right? Stop. The be still is to close the mouth with a muzzle, like silence. Just stop. This is what he's telling the wind and the waves. Just stop, put a muzzle on it and stop, because he's addressing something behind the wind and the waves. We have been given authority. And the Holy Spirit to do the things Jesus did okay utilize your authority and the Holy Spirit to rebuke sickness in your home I rebuke this sickness in Jesus name right contention with your spouse there was a time where every time I came home through the threshold every time I walked in the door I felt like fighting with my husband and we would we'd argue And then I started saying, I just rebuke a spirit of contention in my house in Jesus' name. And it was like night-to-day difference. Because there's spiritual stuff going on around us all the time, and we have the authority to say, no more. Shut up. Shut up. I'm done. Put a muzzle on it, because we are not going to do this drama today. Right? You have authority. The engine in your car, the bad attitude of your boss, don't rebuke it to his face. Or her face. (laughs) that's bad. Or your spouse. Don't do that. Um, I don't recommend it. But go somewhere. I just rebuke the gossip that's in this place. I rebuke the words that have been spoken against me in Jesus' name. I silence the enemy's lies as he's speaking to my boss in Jesus' name. I pray for, you know, do that. You can do that. Rebuke the spirit of pornography that's pulling at your son or your husband or your friend. Or whoever you have the authority to do that put a muzzle on it stop right there in Jesus name so this three-word prayer hush be still is what Jesus used to calm the storm that was taking them down telling the storm and the demons with it be quiet So let this be your three-word prayer. Either hush, be still. It can be peace, be still. But the word for peace was silence. Okay? Practice it in your home, over your soul, over your mind. When things get chaotic, hush, be still. Just stop, you know, over the chaos. For some of us, Jesus is in the stern, but he's waiting for us to call on him and let him take control because we're white-knuckling the rudder, you know what I'm saying? We've got our hands on it. We've been trying to fix things with our own resources and our own strength. We're discouraged, and we can't rest. Does anyone here like to be in control? Like, it makes you feel like you can, you know, that's why I don't love flying. If I'm driving, I'm great. If I'm flying, someone else is in control, and that doesn't make me feel so great, because I'm sure I could do it just fine (laughs) on my own, you know? At some, bo- at some point, our boat of independence fills up with water and our safe place called control begins to sink, right? And our only option is to give it over to him. And then when he assumes control, we can rest. Jesus is in the midst of your situation. It doesn't mean you're not going to get wet. It doesn't mean it's not going to feel scary and that the boat might fill with water. It doesn't mean that you're going to avoid all the storms. And it might seem like you're going to sink to the bottom of the sea and perish. Okay? But he has promised that he will be with you and help you and never leave you. That's his promise. So, my challenge to you over the next few weeks this is your homework is to take a nap. (laughs) Take a nap. And if you're married with kids, tell your husband I'm taking a nap because they will pass him up to come up and find you to ask for a snack from the pantry. And it's like, your dad's on the couch. Why would you come up here and wake me up to ask for a snack from the pantry? <laughs> Say, Mom, mommy's, my kids know it is mommy time. Mommy's going to have mommy time. You know, just take a nap. No matter where you're at in your life, I'm giving you permission to do that. Okay. Uh, after the storm, they got to the other side. Jesus was thrust right back into ministry, because I think that's where um, he came down and the garrison demoniac was. Um, he, took the nap. he took a nap when he had a t- chance to take a nap. In between one job and the next, he took his nap. Um, I'm going to close with this little... The Sleep Foundation breaks down naps into three different types, and I thought this was funny, because it's almost like a car salesman. Okay? <laughs> So first you've got your planned napping. It's also called preparatory napping, okay? This involves taking a nap before you actually get sleepy. You might use this technique when you know that you're gonna be up later than your normal bedtime or you don't wanna be tired. So you got your planned napping. Then our next, we got your emergency napping. This is when you're, is when you're suddenly very tired and you, can, you can't continue to do what you were doing, like driving or heavy equipment or housework. You know, you just need an emergency nap. This combats drowsiness, right? And the third is habitual napping, which is practiced when you take a nap at the same time each day, which is usually for your children or your grandparents um, or people that have really nice discipline about taking Because I love naps. I really do. So, they say a short nap is recommended, 20 to 30 minutes. It helps you feel more alert and ready to accomplish tasks without leaving you feeling groggy or interfering with your nighttime sleep. So, get on your bed, on the couch, whatever. Some of you, you could be napping, a lot of us. We could be napping but we don't take the time to do it. And the time that we do have, we get on Instagram or whatever. Um, So, take the time, set a timer and then set your phone down. And just take a nap. And if you don't fall asleep, that's okay. Take a 20-minute rest with your eyes closed, okay? If you're not a big napper by nature, just close your eyes, no screen, and just rest and set a timer for 20 to 30 minutes. Do you guys think you can do that? Like, do you think? I know it's a challenge. Some of you are like, I don't need a nap. That's probably because you need a nap. <laughs> just take a nap or rest. Take that time for yourself to refresh yourself and to give yourself the energy that you need. And it also feels very luxurious and wonderful when you treat yourself, it fills you with a whole different type of endorphins because you feel really good about giving yourself some time. And tell me about it. Like, email me or post it on the Facebook page or something because I want to know when you guys are napping. I want to know you guys are doing this because I think you're going really, to really love it. Look, I could have challenged you to fast and I'm challenging you to nap. So. Like, praise Jesus, right? (laughs)